Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. If you have your Bibles there, I invite you to open up to Joshua chapter 1. We'll be reading from there and a couple of other passages in just a few minutes. When we moved to America for me to take part in Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, many of you know the story that uh, we left uh, a lot of things that we had. We sold a lot of things that we had and we left family and friends here to go to a country that we'd never been to before. We'd never traveled overseas, so it was a massive experience for for me and Narelle and for our four children. And we went there and it was in some ways a, a massive adventure and one that we looked back on when we look back on with a lot of fondness and enthusiasm and, and excitement about what happened in that season and the things that uh, God did uh, in us and for us and through us. But most of you would know that an exciting story in the thick of it doesn't always feel that exciting, does it? Especially when there's so many unknowns and we were probably under the false uh, idea that, you know, we're going from Australia, one first world country, to America, another first world country. Wouldn't it be that big of an adjustment, would it? Well, if you've travelled overseas, even to another first world country, even to America, then you know there's still a big culture shock that takes place. In some ways, America is like Australia. In a lot of ways, it's not. It was completely different. We were out of our comfort zone by a long shot. When we were there, uh, we, I've finished up here. We're, we'd been here, we'd been part of Horsham Church of Christ for about seven and a half years by that time. And we left there and I, and I thought that I was leaving my job as a pastor, that I wasn't going to be a pastor anymore, that I was leaving that time, whatever that looked like, and stepping into this new season with a lot of unknowns. Except pastor, being a pastor wasn't something that I just did It's a part of who I am. But I didn't realize that. And it took the time that we were in America, time being away from the role of associate pastor here for me to come to that realization. And there were some steps along the way that helped me come to that realization. We were, I remember standing in in a line with uh, my revival group and waiting. We were going to go into another session and waiting. And a couple of the guys came up to me. We'd only been there for a couple of weeks. I didn't really know a lot of the people that I was in the group with. And a couple of guys came up to me and they said, hey, Jared, a couple of us were talking. What do you reckon? Did you used to be a pastor before you came here? And I said, I rebuke thee. Silence. I didn't say that, actually. But uh, they were right. But I was still in this struggle. I was still in this journey of not being a pastor anymore and thinking it was just something that I did. But these guys knew it without me even telling them what I used to do. But it was... A process of a couple of months and what kind of really sealed the deal was I was out walking one day one of the main streets in Reading and I walked past a guy who was homeless and we had a conversation and um, I just had a Starbucks voucher so I gave that to him and that's all I had I didn't have any cash on me Um, but during this conversation this guy beautiful black man deep accent he says to me hey are you a pastor and I was just in my mind, I'm thinking, shut up. Out of my mouth, I said, uh, no, not at the moment. But it was these conversations and 
these interactions and other people calling out in me what I'd been trying to ignore that helped me come to the realization of who I am just as much as what I do. But our time in America wasn't just a journey of you know, self-discovery and discovering more of my identity for myself. It was a journey that our whole family went on. And we've shared stories, and I'm sure we'll continue to share stories, about God's provision and His kindness. And there was a couple of things that got us through in that time, and it wasn't only the support of family and friends here and in America, but it was God's faithfulness through it all. You see, one of the things that got us to America and kept us going there and helped us come back was that we firmly believed that God led us to that place. And where God leads, He provides. What God promises, He keeps. And so we held on to that and we continue to tell the stories, not just because it's wonderful to relive those times when we didn't have any money for groceries and somebody else would paid the way or when I'd get a free coffee from a complete stranger in class or when we got to have an adventure out as a family because somebody paid the way for us. No, because it celebrates the wonder and the majesty and the faithfulness of God. And so we hold on to these stories because it reminds us of who God is and, and what he's like. And maybe you're watching this and maybe you're listening and you don't have any stories or you feel like you don't have any stories of your own. But I'm pretty sure that all of us, if we take some time, can sit down and think and spend some time in conversation with the Lord to discover more of who He is and what He's done in our lives that we can celebrate with Him and then share with other people. In the story of Joshua, we get to the book of Joshua, and it's an incredible time in the nation of Israel. Moses has just died. And Joshua's is 2IC. Joshua has been with him since they left Egypt. So can you imagine what it's like? Joshua is now one of two people left alive that was a part of the nation when they left Egypt. And so he buries his friend, his mentor, his spiritual father. Correction, he doesn't bury him. God buries Moses and doesn't tell anybody where he's buried, mind you. So Joshua's spiritual father, his mentor, his teacher is dead. They've said they've gone through 30 days of mourning and God says to Joshua, you're up. You're the man. And if you've read through Joshua chapter one, if you've been a part of the church for any time, you would have uh, heard, you would have read that three times in the one chapter as we have it, God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. Now, you know, when the Bible repeats, you pay attention. When the Bible, when God repeats himself three times, you really sit up and pay attention. Can you imagine what it would have been like for Joshua and when God himself, creator of the universe, says to him, be strong and courageous. There's only one reason that you would need God to tell you to be strong and courageous, because you're going to need that encouragement. You're going to need that advice. You're going to need that direction in the next season of your life. He turned to Joshua chapter 1, verse uh, 7. Here's God speaking to Joshua. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it, from the right or to the left, to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night 
so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. I love the story of Joshua. I love the man of Joshua. He feels like a bit of an unsung hero in a lot of ways. I was reflecting uh, earlier this week. He doesn't even rate in the great uh, hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Abraham's there. Moses is there. um, Barak is there. Rahab is there. But Joshua isn't. Yet he is this incredible man of God who has grown up watching Moses encounter God going into the tent of meeting when the presence of the Lord falls on the tent of meeting and being a part of these conversations and watching Moses have these face-to-face encounters with God. And now here's Joshua. He's the man. He's the point guy to lead the nation of Israel across the Jordan into the promised land. They've been waiting for this moment, this day, this, this time for four decades. If you count the time they've been in slavery, they've been waiting for more than four centuries. And now it's up to Joshua to be strong and very courageous and lead them in this time. And what instruction does God give Joshua in order to make it through, in order to be successful, to succeed in this scary, incredible, exciting adventure that he leads them? To meditate on the book of the law to spend time night and day remembering the instructions that God had given to Moses and Moses had given to the people. Here, Joshua, here's the recipe for success in this season. It's not that you study the latest and greatest in leadership. It's not that you make sure that you're surrounded with all the right people or that you attend all the right conferences or you do the right thing at the right time. Here is the right thing, Joshua. I want you to meditate on my law, on my word, day and night. So Joshua is incredibly successful. He leads the nation into the promised land. He leads them across the river into the promised land. And they enter a season of rest. There's so much in this and it's an incredible story. You can read through Joshua. It might take you a couple of hours, but it's an incredible season for the nation of Israel. And Joshua is the guy that leads them all through it as he remains strong and courageous. Now, does he get it right all the time? No, he doesn't. Does the nation of Israel get it right? No. But Joshua remains true and faithful to the instruction that the Lord has given him. <coughs> Pardon me. You see there, verse 8, it says, Do not let this book of the Lord depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Now, you've heard this word, meditate. Before, as recently as last week, if you haven't listened to Simon's message, I encourage you after this to go and listen to the incredible word that Simon gave gave us. But the God's invitation for Joshua to meditate on the word day and night, to remember what God has said, to remember what God has imparted to Moses and to the nation, to his chosen people, is the same as what David does on his bed crying out to the Lord. Turn to Psalm 77. Here's Psalm 77, verse 10. Then I thought, this is David praying to the Lord. Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. And remember, last week Simon talked about the fact David's not even there. He's not a part of these things that take place that he's now recalling to mind. How does he recall them to mind? Because he's heard the stories time and time again. 
He's heard of the victories and the challenges, the the trials and the tribulations of God's people over centuries. And now he's remembering these as he lies in his bed through the night. Verse 12, I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. I will go over again and again your wonderful works, your mighty deeds. I will remember who you are, God. I will remember what you've done. I will remember what you're like, because right here, right now, cries the psalmist. Right here, in this moment, in this hour, I'm struggling to get beyond what I can see in front of myself. But in order to pull myself out of it, Lord, I'm going to remember the things that you have done. I'm going to remember the victories that you led your people through. I'm going to remember how you saved us. I'm going to remember how you provided for us. I'm going to remember how you fed the people through 40 years in the wilderness. I'm going to remember how their clothes didn't wear out. I'm going to remember the manner that you sent. I'm going to remember how your presence fell on the tent and you met with Moses face to face like a friend. I'm going to remember God because right now I'm struggling. I'm finding it really hard. And maybe that's the season you're in, but it's really easy in this season to kind of get bogged down in this quagmire of what on earth is happening? How do we move forward? How do we get beyond this here and now? And it just feels horrible and hard and heavy. We're invited to remember, to remember the goodness of God, who he is and what he's like. And we have the blessing of not just remembering the things that we've experienced of God for ourselves, but in meditating on his word, from the beginning of the creation all through to the birth of the church and beyond, we can remember who God is and what he's like and what he's done. So back to Joshua, this man chosen by God to lead the people after Moses has finally gone to be with the Lord. Joshua leads the people across the river through Joshua chapters 1 through 4, 5, you read of the story of how they get ready. This massive nation of more than a million people are to go over the river to the promised land. As they go, Joshua's given this instruction for one person from each of the 12 tribes of Israel to pick up a stone and to carry it through. See, the priests are in the middle of the river. And they're holding the Ark of the Covenant. And as the whole nation passes by, I mean, imagine you're waiting for a million people. So there's priests holding this Ark on the rods as the people cross over into the Promised Land. And so Joshua gives the instruction for one person from each tribe to get a stone from the riverbed and to take it into the Promised Land on the other side of the river. And they're not just pebbles. I mean, the, the Bible says that the, they carry it on their shoulder. It's that big. So it's, it stands out. So 12 people lift a stone each, take it across, and they erect it. In Joshua chapter 4, we read what they do with this. Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off 
These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So here's Joshua leading the people with an instruction from God to remember his word, to remember the book of the law day and night, to meditate upon it day and night. And as he goes across into this new land that the Israelites have been waiting so long for, they take this moment to actually gather massive heavy stones from the riverbed and take them into their new home and to set them up as a memorial for all that God has done that will be, that will highlight to the Israelites, that will enable them to tell the story to the generations to come. So not only is Joshua leaning on the word given to him by God, but he also goes about creating new ways for the Israelites to remember God's faithfulness, his provision, to remember the wonder and the awe of this moment when they pass through the dry riverbed as the walls of the river are held up. Fast forward more than a thousand years and we get to Jesus, Jesus, the son of God, God incarnate. And he goes through this time of testing. He's been 40 days in the wilderness and the devil comes to him. You can read about it in Matthew chapter four. The devil comes to him and tempts him three times over. And what does Jesus respond to the devil with? What does Jesus, how does Jesus rebuke the devil? It's not necessarily through praying in that moment moment. It's not through the fasting. He's just been through this season of fasting. Right there, as the devil comes to him, Jesus responds with the word of God, with the law. He quotes from Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy as we have it today, three times over to respond to these temptations that the devil throws at him. Now, have a look at this. The first temptation that the devil gives to Jesus is, if you are the son of God, Tell these stones to become bread. Now, I think you've got to be pretty dumb if you're going to tell the bread of life to turn stones into bread. Jesus rebukes him. Get away from me. And quotes Deuteronomy to him. Quotes the word of God. Remembers the goodness of God and uses that in warfare against the tempter. Now we move on if you turn to Luke chapter 18, and this is the time when Jesus is entering into the city of Jerusalem. Your Bible might label it as the triumphal entry, when there's a massive party happening because Jesus, the long-awaited king the people were hoping for, is entering to the city. Not on a war horse, though, on a donkey. And here, uh, chapter nine, Luke 19, verse 37. When Jesus came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they'd seen. The disciples were so excited because of everything they'd seen Jesus do just in the last few years, just in their own lifetime. Never mind anything that came before that. It was just here in these few years. Blessed be the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They weren't really impressed with the praise that Jesus was getting. And Jesus responds, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones themselves will cry out. If they keep quiet, the stones themselves will cry out. 
Now, I used to read that and think, oh, wow, okay, so the stones, these inanimate objects just lying by the road, that would be so excited. Somehow they would spring to life as only stones under God's control and authority can and start proclaiming the wonder of Jesus. But then as I read that in light of all that's happened with Joshua and others throughout the Old Testament and the stories that we have of God's goodness and kindness, as I read this moment of Jesus entering into the city, I see these stones in a whole new light. And maybe it's not the same pile of 12 that Joshua and the 12 tribes of Israel erected as they moved into the promised land. Maybe it's not the same stones at all. There were other stones that people put up in place to remember the memorial, to remember what God had done, to remember the story so they could tell the next generation when each generation asked, what do these stones mean? There was a stone that Joshua set up near the end of his life when he makes the famous declaration that a lot of us would know that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the whole of Israel joined in and said, yes, we make the same promise. We remember the same. And Joshua, to remember that moment, put a large stone near a tree and said, this stone is a memorial to the promise that you and I have made, that the generations to come will see this stone and ask and remember the promise we have made to worship the Lord with all our might. So there's different stones erected at different times. And maybe it's not any of those stones that Joshua put up or Moses or Abraham or anybody else before Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. But can you imagine that some of these stones have been put in place to serve as a memorial for something wonderful and amazing and miraculous that God has done in his people, through his people, for his people before this time that Jesus rides past? And the Pharisees say, Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to be quiet because they didn't like Jesus getting the praise that he deserved. They didn't think he deserved. And Jesus says, if these people stop singing my praise, then these stones, these stones that have been lying here for centuries, these stones that have heard the stories told again and again and again of how God led his nation through the river, how God led his nation across the sea, how God led his people to worship and praise him all of their days. These stones will bring those things to memory and start crying them out and declare them themselves. See, only God could take inanimate objects like stones that have been listening for centuries of years and invite them to remember the times, to remember the stories that have been told of how good God is and what he's like. And maybe you're watching this and maybe you're listening in and thinking, man, I'm finding it really hard to remember the good things that God has done. I'm finding it hard to remember the good times in life. I'm finding it hard to remember the miracles of Jesus in my own life. But we have an invitation. We have an opportunity to remember beyond ourselves. We have an opportunity to spend time in God's word as we have it. We have an opportunity through social media and the wonders of modern technology that we can connect with others and hear the stories of God's goodness that are happening in the world today. Because we can tune in to just about anywhere around the world 
and hear and even see what God is doing, what God is up to. Because no doubt God is up to something. But even if you're struggling to remember it for yourself from your own life, from your own experience in this season, we can cling to the wonders and the, the majesty. We can cling to the marvelous things that God has done because we have his word. And so this is an opportunity, this is an invitation for us to meditate on his word. And not only to, that we would know the book better, but that we would know him better. That we would remember who he is and what he's like and discover more of what he's like. So we would take that into this season. God, I'm lying on my bed and I'm feeling like this is a mess. I feel like I'm a mess and I'm not sure how to move forward or what moving forward looks like. Or, or I'm just sick of wearing a mask all the time, God. And God says, yeah, let me show you a time. Let me remind you of how good I am and how I lead my people, even when all hope seems lost, how I lead my people, how I never leave you and how I never forsake you. On my hand, I wear my wedding ring. It's the only ring that I wear. And this is one of my memorial stones because it's not just a sign of a promise that I made. It's not just a sign of a covenant. But this has been with me every day for more than 21 years. This has been there in good times that we celebrate and hard times that we remember and, and we've learned from. This has been there when our children have been born. This has been there when we've traveled to America, when we've come back and set up life once again as it looks in this season. And this will be there for many years to come. And so when I look at it, or when other people look at it, they know that I'm married. And from that, there's stories that I can tell of God's goodness and God's faithfulness, his provision, his blessing, and his honor in my life. What's your memorial stone? What do you have around you, on you, in your home, in your possession, that you can hold on to that can declare the wonder of God's goodness and majesty in your own life? What helps you tell the story to your children, your children's children, or to your friends, to people that you meet for the very first time? That helps you to remind you to tell the story of who God is and what he's like and what God is up to. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you just want to take some time today over the next week or so and think, what is it that reminds me of God's goodness? Maybe it's a Bible. Maybe it's something else that might not seem terribly special to anybody else, but to you, it reminds you of your heavenly father and what he's like for you. Maybe you're watching this today and you haven't accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. And maybe you don't know what it is to be a child of God, but that's the invitation that God extends to you today. It's actually the greatest gift, the greatest blessing that anyone can ever receive is to know that they are a child of God, to receive the new life that we can only have through him. And if that's you today, I invite you, wherever you are, just to maybe kneel on the ground. Maybe you're there with other people, with your family, with friends, and just watching this, and you can respond to this invitation. Maybe Jesus is just prodding in your spirit and saying, this is the time that you can say yes to me and invite him to be Lord of your heart, to lead you in the entirety of your life. And if that's you, I just invite you just to kneel where you are and I just want to pray with you, pray for you in this moment. 
So Father, I thank you for the people that are watching that maybe are encountering you for the very first time, that don't yet know you as Lord, but in this moment declare you as Lord of their lives and say yes to all that you have in store. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave your life that we may have life forevermore. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for each person that's responding to this invitation. And I pray that they would encounter you like never before, that they would be aware of your presence in their lives, that they would spend time drawing close to you, to hear you, to see you, to know you more and more. And we bless him in the mighty name of Jesus. If that's you today, I invite you to maybe celebrate with the people around you. You can let us know um, here at the church by contacting us and Glenda will let you know more about that in just a moment. Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus all your life and you just want to know him more. I invite you in this day, in this hour, to cry out to him, to meditate on his word, to meditate on the good things he's done to draw near to him, to knowing that as we draw near to him, he draws near to us because he is faithful. And the stories that we have through Abraham and Moses and Joshua and David and Jesus is that he's good all the time and his love endures forever. It can be calamity around us, but he is good and he's faithful.